Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook, with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts, episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Happy Monday night, Tuesday morning, or whenever you are listening to this. Last show, I said, uh, I'm not here for the long intros. I'm going to make that uh, a, uh, a rule for this week. We have a couple of shows this week, so I'll try to keep these intros short. I just want to let folks know about uh, the podcasts that we did over the weekend. So if you didn't get to see Tifimo Lopez and uh, Vasily Lomachenko, or if you did and, and you just kind of want to hear about it, we recorded a podcast Saturday night, myself, Robert Silva, Carlos Torres. And last night we put out uh, the last G-Cast, sorry, last G1-Cast uh, of, this, of this G1 season, Justin Nipper, Carlos Torres. Toro and Chris Samsa, the New Japan statistician who Kevin Kelly calls out all the time on uh, on the shows. They recorded. They went over the whole thing. You know, the the end of the G- the G one, the the finale, and uh, and that's it. So we're gonna have something pretty fun for you upcoming. You heard John Moxley on this show uh for ufc 253 he was on to kind of preview the show talk about it and then he came back on the post game show with uh, myself and justin and he's back he's gonna do uh we're gonna talk about ufc 254 he's he's pretty jacked up i could not match his energy though i don't think i'd ever match john's energy that's why he's so good at what he does but uh we're here to talk about ufc 254 uh, Justin is back. John is back. So without fur- without further ado, let's just hit the show. All right, we're back to talk about some UFC news. And rejoining us is the AEW world champion, John Moxley. What's going on, man? Ready to rock and roll, man. Having a good day. It's a good Sunday. Got up at a nice... Nice little hike with my wife. Watched two Justin Gaethje fights. I tried to watch some death matches, but they're not out yet. Uh, they just came out. So it's been a morning of peace peace and violence. It's been nice. <laughs> All right. And, and uh, Justin is with us just off of completing what was a marathon of like 16 or 17 podcasts covering the G1 for us in this podcast feed. Justin, what's going on? What's up? No problem. 17. I, I don't even think I started my own. I didn't do my own podcast ever. And then this month I did like 20. So 
are, trial are by you, fire. How, how do you feel though? Like you, you guys were, you and Carlos were, you know, up at all hours of the night watching stuff or or writing or, or uh, you know doing shows. Like it was crazy. I talked to Carlos and. At some point, I think he stayed up for like 18 or 19 straight hours. It was crazy. Yeah, because of the time differences between us, he's in Cleveland and I'm out in Portland. So there's the West Coast stuff. And we've had guests who like like Chris Samson was on earlier today. He's in Chicago, like middle of America. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, so you just start to lose track of like what time it is. I remember I, I messaged Samson. I'm like, yo, dude, you get, we're going to do the show tomorrow, right? But in my head, it was Saturday because in Japan, it was Saturday, mm. but it was actually Friday. And he's like, yo, dude, I thought we were going to do it on a Sunday. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, because it's Friday. <laughs> so there's like, I, it's just weird. And I think it's going to take a week for me to kind of like process everything. But the one good thing about it is like the shows weren't longer than two and a half hours. It was always six matches. So it was easy to uh, easier to watch than, you know, those full house shows. Right, right, right. Well, the G1 is over, so we get to talk about some uh, UFC. As UFC, every you know every big show, I, I try to do something on it. But uh, you know they've had some really good shows lately, and I'm really excited to talk about UFC 254. But before we actually do that, um, I wanted to talk about some of the news that is out there. Some of the main, the the bigger stories that uh, that are, that are following uh, you know the UFC around. And the first thing I wanted to ask you both about, and we'll go to John's uh, first about this, is, you know, always the story, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, Conor McGregor is always the big story when it comes to the UFC. He's the the big box office for them. He does a great job of creating uh, news when there isn't really news, just by keeping his name out there. But it sounds like... We're getting close to the possibility of him facing Dustin Poirier in January, even though he's kind of haggled back and forth with Dana saying, you know, he wants to do it in 2020. But John, are you intrigued by this fight? And do you actually think it's going to happen? Before we get to that, you said you were excited to talk about UFC 54, but I don't believe it yet. You don't sound very excited. I, I, I have to be very diplomatic you know, professional. Uh, this isn't I, I, fucking CNN, man. <laughs> Get excited. UFC 254. But that's why you're... <laughs> Nurmagomedov. The Eagle versus the Highlight. Justin MDK all motherfucking day. Gaethje. I am Woo! fucking hyped as shit for this. Woo! To talk about that, though, until I see it, Signed, sealed, delivered. I, I can't believe anything, but it seems like it's coming closer to happening. They're all saying it's going to happen. That's what frustrates me about all these UFC fights sometimes, because one guy will be on Twitter or in the media or whatever, and he'll say, hey, I signed for the fight, but he didn't sign it. And the other guy will say, well, I agreed. He didn't sign it. And then, and I'm with, well, you're both agreeing to fight. Let's just do it. Like, I don't know. It, it, I, I know there's a bunch of business stuff that goes in. And, I, you know, I want people to make as much money as possible and have the best uh, preparation possible. So I know there's a lot going on behind the scenes, but it gets frustrating when you hear all this talk and nothing gets on paper. McGregor wants it in front of fans. And, hell, Florida's about to open up. Put that shit in Jacksonville Stadium. I know a guy I'll put you in touch right now. <laughs> like, they'll, they'll put some fans in there for you. But McGregor and Poirier, very interesting. It's because a, a rematch, but uh, different Poirier. 
much different. He was much younger back then. He was a different weight class. Now he's at his best weight class. Much more experienced. Much uh, just better all around. And uh, who knows what kind of Connor you're going to get. The Poye of today, if he's at 100%, the Poye who fought Justin Gaethje, the Poye who probably stepped into the cage against Khabib till he just got completely nullified with the takedowns, probably the Poye who fought Dan Hooker. That Poye, Dre, I mean, as long as he you know can avoid uh, you know a deadly sniper shot, that Poye drags Connor into some deep water, beats the fuck out of him, stops him in the fourth round. But how much damage, how much toll has been taken in all these wars Poirier has been in with Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez and so forth, you know? And is it like, a uh, has his trigger been pulled secretly? We don't know. Uh, there's been no real indication of that. His loss to Khabib, he just got, you know, he got Khabibed. Uh, he didn't look necessarily uh, like he was... Uh, had any toll taken on him from all these hard fights or anything. He just got taken down, wrestle-fucked, and, and face-locked or whatever, and choked out. Um, is it So is it a rejuvenated Conor McGregor who's fresh against uh, uh, Dustin Poirier who's been through the ringer? Or is it a McGregor who's out at the clubs punching old men at bars and is not preparing fully? Or We have no idea what kind of McGregor we would see. Peak Dustin Poirier, like the Poirier that fucked Gaethje, can definitely be Conor McGregor. Do those two versions of themselves intersect at the same time? We have no idea. There's you know, a lot of questions. But that that's what makes that so interesting. But anything you learn from their first fight, you can kind of throw out the window because it's a completely different Dustin Poirier at this, at this point. But I definitely want to see it. I'll tune in anytime either of those motherfuckers fight. So, uh... Sign it. I don't. Let's go, man. Let's get it. Justin, let me let me ask you a slightly different question, which is Conor McGregor. He is kind of in and out, but we, we hear more about Conor way more than we actually see him in the octagon as he gets a little bit older, a little bit older. You know that there is a, a certain part of fighting where you know athleticism is such a big deal, and that and that is really you know. Part of what what he was so great about was his movement. Do you are you still as into Conor McGregor as a box office star as someone who is sort of must see the overall large personality? Does that still do it for you? You know, like it would have in you know two or three years ago, where he was like almost bigger than life. No, and you know why? Because he doesn't deliver. Because when he started getting bigger than life in his fights, I mean, look, like look at his past couple of fights. I mean, at, if we were booking this in pro wrestling, you know, we would judge it a different way. I think. Um, to, so, what John said earlier about Dustin Poirier being—he's a different guy now, and I think that's especially the case for Connor in a different way. The 2015 Connor that fought that killed Poirier—that's that guy's not here anymore. I don't know who 2020 Connor is. He's all over the place. We read about him all the time. I don't want to read about him anymore. I want to see him fight and see what he's got or just shut up. I'm sick of reading. That's hard. Like sometimes reading those MMA sites, you read through the news and it's just like, it's just bad trash talk. A lot of 
pointless news because it's like you read one fight that's going to happen. It gets canceled. You don't know what's happening till what that day. I think we were just talking right before this, Garrett. And uh, one of those uh, uh, Khabib's brother was supposed to fight. Right. Like right. it was just canceled. Like so things happen like that. It's the nature of the sport. So if he's ready to fight and he wants to fight, he should just do it. And he alluded in the past being kind of upset about uh, not being able to train as much as he'd like to for like the uh, uh, Floyd Mayweather fight because it was mm-hmm. there was a lot of press. But he, I remember him doing interviews where he was talking about he was getting pulled away and he just wanted to have a camp and focus on that. So I don't think unless he has a, what two months month for a camp for like a proper camp that's when we can start taking whoever he's going to fight seriously. Otherwise, just, you know, he's go do your thing and get out of the way because there's a lot of fighters coming up. So John mentioned whether or not there will be fans. And I, I wonder, uh, and this is actually a good question for John because he works for a business in which the lack of fans has been pretty impacting. But can you put Connor on pay-per-view and not care about the lack of gate that you would also make a ton of money on because he's he's the biggest uh, guy when it comes to selling tickets and and raising those tickets in Las Vegas that that you have on the roster. So basically, you're putting him for the pay per view buys, but you're not able to take advantage of you know the ten million dollar plus gate that he would draw just by being Connor. Like if you're Dana White. Like, like that's got to be part of this process, right? Like you can't just say, oh, yeah, no fans, no big deal. We're still going to pay him what we would have paid him. Yeah, it's definitely got to be part of it. But like, OK, it's 2020, dude. You got to adjust. So. And that goes for both sides. So if Connor's going to say, oh, I want the exact same payday. Well, then he could counter with. But we can't sell any fucking tickets. So like. Maybe arrange it to where like, okay, if you sell three million pay-per-views, but but they just got to figure it out financially. Everything's going to be pared down to fit 2020 standards financially. Do you? He's got enough money to fucking he like the money's not an issue for him. Other than like an ego thing, a guy like him is not going to want to get paid a dime less than he has to. Do you want to fight or not? You know, like I don't, I don't. You'll if you do, you'll figure it out. Like they're gonna make more money on that pay per view if Connor's on it than if they're not. So they got to figure out what they have to pay him to make it profitable for everybody. But at the end of the day, a guy like that, he's got all the money in the world. So it's just does he want to fight or not? And if he doesn't really want to fight, if he's only doing it for the money, and he's not gonna, and it's he only wants something that doesn't make financial sense for UFC, then. Shit, I'm on Dana's side then. Well, fuck it, because I'm not going to lose money just to have you fight. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. These are all questions that are far above my pay grade. I just I just want a clear answer, you know? <laughs> all right, so there's another uh, fight that I think has some intrigue that I think they're trying to set up for the end of the year. We've talked about, we talked about it a little bit the last time we chatted, which is the idea of Jorge Masvidal... Uh, and, you know, hanging out with uh, Donald Trump Jr. And uh, Colby Covington as a, you know, not, you're t- basically you're taking advantage of this new star power that Masvidal has for having, you know, his great fights that he's had. 
beating uh, beating Nate Diaz, though he did lose his last fight as, as the substitute uh, to save that main event. Uh, is there interest here in this fight for you? And how big do you think, uh, how big of a fight do you feel that this one is? I, I don't see how you don't make that fight. That's like, that's the fight. That makes so much more sense than him and Nate. Like, he was, he was winning that fight. Like, it was a cut. It was a stoppage. Everybody's going to want to pay to see it again. I'll pay to see it again. I'd love to see it again. But uh, Colby's higher up on the food chain as far as, like, rankings and uh, proximity to a title shot and so forth. And so is Masvidal. And it just – and they have a feud and they hate each other. They're both Trump supporters, which I don't know if that – I don't know if that ruins it or not. I don't know. Maybe Colby will switch and go all Biden. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, I mean, all that aside, it just it makes sense from every single angle. I, 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 don't, know how, I don't know how that fight doesn't get made. Clearly, they want to fight each other, and I, I, that, that's got to happen, right? You, you know, it's funny you said about Colby switching. Um one of my friends, she uh, she used to uh, cheerlead for the Sacramento Kings. Like this is, you know, probably uh, probably twenty years ago now. And so, we, you know, these cheerleading groups for these sports teams, it's it's a little bit of like an an alumni group. Like if you're if you ever were a cheerleader, then you're in this this big group. And so, Colby's sister. Um, was a part of was a part of the dance team, you know, several years after my friend. And she said that, you know, she knows she knew her a little bit. And I asked her, I said, oh, you know, was was her family like Colby all, you know, always this way? She's like, no way. Like this stuff, it seems to have come sort of out of left field. And so she showed me uh, the sister's Instagram, which is, you know, the sister's Instagram is just promoting her brother and promoting what her brother says. But it does seem like um, this, this this version of Colby Covington is, is a fairly new version. And look, you know, people can change. It doesn't mean that you have to be one way for uh, for for the entire time. But I just I just thought that was interesting because she found it kind of funny that, you know, the family did a little bit of a turn in, in helping promote you know Colby as the MMA fighter too. Justin, does this uh, does this fight intrigue you as well? I don't know if intrigue is the right word. Um, I mean, I, I like Masvidal a lot as a fighter, and he's a great talker too. But I don't know what's going on with this political stuff. I mean, this is these guys are at the top level UFC. Uh, they're top level fighters. The politics of it all, like actual u.s politics are involved there are weird games that we probably don't know what the hell's going on i'm not as much intrigued of it uh, by it as much as i am like you know for all i care, they can go you know have a fight and i say this politely they can beat the fucking shit out of each other but um i'd as a fight it could be interesting i just don't care about the other stuff so the, the only way and that, that and i'm that's, interested and that's in, gonna yeah. be at least on Colby's side, that's going to be part of the build. Masvidal seems to be a little bit more open to, to doing that, but I, I haven't heard him really, you know, do a ton of promotion in that way. But it's you know he he's taken he's he's been putting photos out there and stuff. So, all right, let's take a quick break from John Moxley, Justin Nipper, and myself talking about UFC and UFC 254, which is this weekend. Actually, early start for UFC 254. 
So hopefully folks know the time is, is, is earlier than the normal UFC show by three hours. So you're going to have to pop on early to check everything out. Uh, but before we get back to the show, I want to talk about Indeed. I was looking up uh, a list. I, you know, I'm always looking when, when we have these sponsors, I'm always looking for more information on them. And, you know, we, we get the readout and, and everything. So I have tons of facts and you guys have heard all the facts. But uh, last time I was talking about how, you know, Nextdoor, my company, we use Indeed. And I was looking at a list. Um, I don't even know what the uh, the company that put the list together. But basically, the, the, the list was, oh, here it is. The, the 10 best job search websites of 2020. Uh, the, uh, the the website or is called thebalancecareers.com. And so I just you know looking to see like what are what are some of the uh, you know the places that people go for jobs and overall the number one spot, the best overall place or website to go for jobs in 2020 was indeed. So you know it was awesome to, to, to look at that list and see the the company that we at Blue Wire, uh, are sponsored by is you know is in such high acclaim uh, for you know for just for the business. So you know you've you've heard my real use case scenario, which is my company, and now you know here are some other use cases where people really enjoy Indeed uh, for this website for this podcast. Uh, right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is going to be their best offer anywhere. That offer is available through December 31st, so the end of the year. You got to get that, uh, take advantage of it as soon as you can. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so last sort of thing I want to ask you guys about before we do get into UFC 254. Last night uh, on the Fight Night card, Brian Ortega had to shave his head to make weight. And uh, he beat Korean Zombie pretty handily, uh, won all five rounds. I didn't really see, I didn't really see a... Uh, an opening to really give Korean Zombie much, uh, you know, as a way of scoring. Uh, Ortega just uh, pretty much dominated that fight, and he is now next in line for uh, Volkanovski uh, for a title shot. John, what did you think of that fight? Oh, T City, baby! <laughs> I I respect and I, and I love why he came out to the song that he chose. Although I was really hyped up for the DMX and it never came, <laughs> I thought he became out, been coming out to DMX his last couple fights. Uh, Korean Zombie coming out to the Cranberries, classic, classic. That was intro. good. That yep. was good. Yep. Yeah, this stuff is important, man. This is entertainment. It is. And uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, he he looked like better than he's ever looked. Like he looked matured. Uh, you know, he had a penchant for pulling fights out of his ass at the last second and pulling victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, an innate ability to finish fights with, be it submissions or whatever. He just looked like all around better in this. I, I, I couldn't have been more excited. I thought he looked fantastic. I love the Korean zombie. Always do. Uh, he'd always be one of my guys. But, I, you know, I was happy for, uh, for Byron Ortega. I thought he looked great. I hadn't heard that he... Uh, 
shaved his head because he was about to miss weight. Because I, I, I he said, that, it was, I thought that's what I, I thought that's what it was. I'll look it up. I heard some people were saying that, but like uh, I heard that he was for a charity thing, like a locks oh. for love or whatever, like a donate your hair thing. That's what I heard. So I just took that as face value. So I, I'm gonna assume that's what that is. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that that it looks like that's what eventually got reported but um originally the story that came out was, was it was for weight but yeah it does look like that's what he's been saying so and i know he said that he's going to uh he's going to grow it back because he's got he's got to grow the locks back uh but uh I, no mention i thought you were gonna lead with uh him uh using the judas effect oh the fucking judas effect and he no-sold it, Korean zombie. I know, because, yeah, he's a zombie. He walked right through that he's shit. He's legit. Yeah. And that, that was one of the better ones I've ever saw of that, because it wasn't, it was, he threw, I don't remember if it was right or left, but he threw the punch, and he ducked under the punch as he was coming up with the elbow, like some real Bruce Lee duck and counter at the exact same time. Why would you block and then wait to counter when I could do both things at the same time? Kind of, Kind of Bruce Lee shit. I, that shit in replay like two or three times was beautiful. Like he caught, and he caught him like with the with this tricep. Like it wasn't even really close to the elbow. It was like more like the yeah. meat, you know, the muscly part of the tricep. So I thought that was awesome. Uh, if he'd have worked to a finish off that, that would have been some super memorable highlight real shit. But uh, but he kept uh, he kept the pressure on, and I mean it was pretty. Uh, yeah, I mean, completely unanimous. I had no doubts whatsoever what the what the result was going to be when the scores were read. So, uh, T City back in the game, baby. Two years off. I haven't even thought about how him and Volkanovski match up, but then potentially like this version of Ortega against Max Holloway. Now, now we're cooking. With, now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> Justin, any quick thoughts before we get to UFC 254? No, nothing new. Ortega was great. Loved his poise all throughout the fight. Loved his interview afterwards. He was humble. He looked awesome. Korean zombie was a zombie. He put on a show. He ate some disgusting shots. He probably has CTE right now. I hope he doesn't. But it, it was a good. It was a good technical, longer fight. Uh, nothing flashy. No drama. And Ortega tore him apart. That's that's really it. And. And I just looked something up on the iPad. It said, uh, he, there's a headline, and I think it's MMA Junkie that quotes Ortega. It says, I can't stay bald, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Ortega vows to grow back hair. So that's for, it says it's from four hours ago. So that's the update. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's Bye. bringing it back. Um, all right. So uh, before we get to UFC 254, we got to do our bet online one. We get one pro wrestling question. A week for these shows with John and this is sort of a two-parter I kind of combine these in, in, in a cheating way but I think they're they're kind of related um, so part one comes from uh, Mike Gilbert from the combat Republic and he said is if John thinks blood sport is something that could work full-time in a promotion in the United States, or is it better suited for these sort of special events? And then the second part of this is uh, from from Wade, uh, Wade Hagen. If there were any stylistic changes you had to make, John, to sort of work 
with no ropes in, in a ring, you know, in, anything that you instinctively like had to make sure, you know, you thought about. So two part question, answer whichever one you want first and second. But that's our qu- pro wrestling question of the week. Um, not really any any, any uh, changes that have to be made. It, it takes away the option of like hitting the ropes is about the only options taken away. But I ain't. I ain't springboard and I ain't doing any 450s, nothing. So, yeah, I don't know how much I really even hit the ropes anyway. So, it pretty uh, pretty smooth transition for me. I, I had a ball. That was such a fun, fun experience all around. Uh, yeah, I, I stayed in a different hotel than anybody. I had my own dressing room. Uh I didn't come into contact with anybody that wasn't tested. Josh Barnett, Eric Hammer, uh, Cal, basically. I was in and out pretty quickly, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't hanging around that whole collective weekend or anything. I did, although I did watch it on a, a lot of it on Fight TV. But uh, that c- couple hours I was there, I just, it was just a great, fun experience. It's just wrestling, man. Just get in there and wrestle is just fun. And, uh, Great atmosphere, great opponent, and Chris Dickinson, physicality, just uh, loved every second of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, as far as like every, uh, there, you know, cause there's, I think he can be improved upon, you know, and that's and that's not a knock on the uh, product at all. I think, uh, I think we could keep improving upon it and making every match kind of different and uh keeping making it uh i don't know what i'm trying to say was not expecting to answer this question so i'm just thinking out loud <laughs> yeah but i think it, i think it, you know it can keep being improved upon and be even more exciting and i think we kind of got something uh kind of kind of got the the embers of something that could not the embers embers would be like when the fire's dying What's when the fire's beginning? Like a kindling. Yep. The kindling of something that could be uh, really cool here, and there's a lot of interest and really great fans, the other fans that shows up to these shows. And I was fin- finally able to do one. It took me a while to... A, a million uh, advertisements advertising me there that went and never showed up. So I was uh, finally able to finally show up. That was, that was a big pressure off of me. I was like... Oh, finally, I actually showed up. I kept waiting for something to happen at the very last second, like the Indiana would get taken out by a hurricane or something, you know. But uh, uh, keep it moving on. But yeah, I think it could work, you know. Uh, you know, we got some plans to to. to you know, that wasn't a one off for me. You know, I you know I love the product and the concept and the style and. Uh, I want to keep challenging myself in all areas of professional wrestling. So we're gonna we're gonna keep moving forward with this. This is just uh, kind of just the beginning, and uh, I won't uh, reveal anything yet. But uh, we're gonna keep moving forward with it. So uh, see how it uh, see how it all plays out in the future. You know. So my my one uh, thought on whether or not it can it can be sort of like a, a normal product. I think when it comes to television. The interesting thing about this style for me is 
the what you got on on the Bloodsport show on Fight TV, you know, it's 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 they're they're not you know they don't have a huge budget to bring in different cameras and to shoot tightly and to you know to ha- the the PA system for instance. Like I was dying to hear your your promo at the end, but we couldn't hear it through the TV. But if you if you were to add a few little bells and whistles to the production of that as a you know as a regular sort of I, I don't know if it's what, what what it could be down the line, but you know I would pay instead of the twenty dollars on Fight TV if it was fifty bucks and I could get a, a better production I I would do it because I really love the the style of that show. But the only thing missing for me was kind of like, you know, I would have liked a couple of different camera angles. Maybe, um, I know Lenny Leonard did a great job, but he was by himself. Maybe some interviews with people kind of talking about, you know, their style or, or what they bring to the table that's different. Just some stuff like that. Because a lot of those guys, I also, I'm not a big GCW or, or really independent wrestling uh, fan outside of my local stuff. So I didn't know a lot of those guys. And I'm like trying to do some research on the internet while I'm watching like who these guys are. But if you could do stuff like that, I think that enhances that product even more. And and uh, I, I mean, I had fun no matter what, just watching it the way that it was. But that that was kind of the thing yeah. I was thinking about related to this. Yes. Question. Interviews would definitely, I think, you know, not like, you know, Monday Night Raw, 13-minute monologue opening segment interviews, but a quick interview before the match, you know, 30 seconds, get, get explain who somebody is or something. That could definitely uh, help. And, you know, you're dealing with the, you know, uh, a pretty uh, independent level production and everything like that. But, uh, you know, all the physicality and all the athletes speak for themselves, and that's kind of kind of the point of the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, definitely there's, uh, there's, some, there's some stuff brewing for the future to improve it and make it even cooler. Yeah, no, that, that'll be great. All right, let, let's talk about UFC 254. I have a couple of news bits before. C 250, motherfucking four. <laughs> I'm hyped. I could tell. That's why you're here. You, you, Justin and I are, are sort of calm and even, and then we have you, so it, it's a good match. All right, so Cynthia Calvillo was originally going to be on this show. She was supposed to face Lauren Murphy. She tested positive for COVID-19. She is out of the fight, being replaced by Lilia Shakarova. I hope they call her Shak, if that is really how you pronounce her last name. Uh, This fight was originally going to be, I believe, for a future title shot. But according to our MMA guy, uh, Ryan Frederick, who you can uh, follow at Ryan J. Frederick on Twitter, uh, it doesn't sound like Murphy will get a title shot if she wins because of the opponent switch there. Um, Rafa, Rafael Dos Anjos was also supposed to be on this show. Uh, he failed for COVID-19, so that fight, the whole fight was pulled. And uh, they, they wanted a six-fight card, so instead, I believe the fight that got moved up when uh, Dos Anjos's fight got left off was uh, Jacob Malkoon versus Phil Hawes. Uh, Phil Hawes was a, was a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter uh, a few years back. He also was on the Dana White series, got knocked out in, in crazy fashion, but uh, then recently won the Dana White series. So he's back. So that's the fight that was added to this card so that we're still at six. So I just mentioned Jacob Malkoon, Phil Hawes. Malkoon is a 
Uh, I think he's Whitaker's boy. He he trains with Robert Whitaker, his main guy. Uh, I watched a little bit. I saw a couple of fights. He fought uh, for Eternal MMA, and uh, he he won by decision. Phil Hawes, like I mentioned, uh, he he's he's been a con- he's he you know he was a legit contender four four or five years ago. He has since won uh, won four in a row, including win at Bellator and then again uh, the Dana White Contender Series. Either of you? Uh, actually, I'll ask Justin. Were you aware of either of these guys because, um, you know, Malcoon's never fought in, in, in the UFC and Phil has kind of been so close and, and not, and this is going to be his first official UFC fight. But I don't know. I mean, have you heard of these guys sort of in, in, in those circles before? No, I'm not familiar with most of the undercard. It's, it's like all summer, it's been, I mean, there are names that I'm seeing come up time and time again in UFC, like the Abu Dhabi and uh, Las Vegas shows, but um, I'm not too familiar. John, when you were thinking of who was going to win, is this a <laughs> flip a coin? Like, or, or do you, or do you actually know some of these guys? I got, I got nothing for you on these guys. I, I never, uh, never had the privilege of seeing them compete. Uh, I was, Going back and forth on uh, Cynthia Calvallo and Lauren Murphy, and I was going to pick Cynthia Calvallo, but now I'm not familiar with the other woman, so now I I guess I'll pick Lauren Murphy for that one. But all the changes kind of screwed up my... Uh, I'm not... Yeah, I got nothing for you uh, for the for the deep undercard here. So, so the thing that I will say is um, in my limited uh, research, uh, Malcoon... He he kind of fought like uh you know pretty aggressive guy as far as you know uh, moving forward kind of looks like he could he could really take take some shots and is not afraid to take a shot uh, but you know big guy um, and then for for Hawes you know he's like a I think he's an amateur wrestler look you know just all, has the look of someone who you know, would be would be a great fighter, and and just had has had some struggles, including like I said, getting knocked out by um, Julian Marquez in this was like three years ago in the Dana White Contender Series. As he's like trying to get up, he just eats a head kick, and he 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 gets you know he, he gets knocked silly. As far as who's gonna win this fight, I mean, it's so hard because neither guy has really faced that you know that top competition where it's like oh you know he fought this person so i know a little bit about this person and that can tell me a little bit but you know i, I think the ufc has been really wanting haas to to you know win that big one so that they could that they could promote him i am sort of leaning towards him just also because of experience because malcoon only has four uh, professional fights so i will lean toward haas but there is something about the idea that, you know, when you're always sort of next in line and you can never win that fight to get to that level that that you need to. And then finally, he did. So I will lean Hawes, but really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you guys as far as, you know, who to take. I, I just I think, you know, when you're talking about competing at a high level and being, you know, ha- having to deal with some adversity, I, I-, I kind of like that part of it. But really, you know, this is this is kind of a coin flip. But I'm going to lean towards Haas. And since John mentioned it, the Lauren Murphy fight against Lilia Shakarova at flyweight, 
uh, I did get to see some Shakarova. There's there's definitely some fights out there on YouTube, and you watch her, and she stand up doesn't look great. She kind of holds her hands kind of low. I, I I think some of that is is because you know whoever she's facing, um, you know they're not coming towards her, so she's just kind of stalking them a little bit. But from a wrestling standpoint. And from a ground and pound standpoint, she was very impressive. I don't know the level of the competition that she was facing, but in the three fights that I saw, what I saw from her is more impressive than I think I've ever seen from Lauren Murphy. Uh, Lauren Murphy is the number four ranked fighter in the women's flyweight. She's won three in a row. I don't know if you guys remember seeing her fight with uh, Roxanne Modafferi in, in June, but you know that that's a that's sort of the 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 competition like that that's where she is right like you like she's right with Roxanne and and as as much as I love watching Roxanne I wouldn't necessarily say you know she's a she's a top contender t- to win a title I'm actually going to pick the upset here and this is literally just based on you know YouTube footage from fights over the last three years I really liked. Shakarova's uh, aggression and she I mean she when she was shooting and 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 double legging these women like she was just driving them to the ground it was very impressive she's eight and one as a pro and uh yeah so the, I I'm actually gonna pick that upset and you know watch her come in and and deer in headlights and quickly lose but that that's just based on YouTube I really like that I'll pick the upset too fuck it <laughs> like, you know, hey she, they they had to put her there for a reason yeah. Hey, you got to start somewhere. I'll go just for the name. Shock Talk. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. What am Oh, all right. Actually, before before the main card, I noticed the headline uh, the headliner of the prelim has a guy, do you remember Stefan Struve? Oh yeah. Yeah, he's fighting someone named Tai Tuvasa. Oh, no, yeah. I Tai's great. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, headliner of the, uh, I think it's probably going to be on what, ESPN Plus, like the free one before the pay-per-view starts. I think that's, that's going to be... That's, what... a, that's actually pretty interesting because that, uh, I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're trying to get a rating because uh, Tuivasa, he's a, he, you know, he's a little bit of a fan favorite, but then he just started eating losses once he had to go up in competition. But um, remember, he was the guy who he would do the shoey with the fans after the fight where they pour beer in the shoe and then you drink it from the shoe. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that sounds great. Maybe <laughs> we'll see it. Does, it actually sounds terrible, but that's how he was getting over with, uh, with fans. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where, you know, once he took that next, like, like he went from, you know, knocking out guys and then he beat Arlovsky in a decision to junior dos Santos. He got knocked out. Then, uh, he fought uh, his last two. He, you know, he got stopped in, in his last fight. So, it's it's just one of those fights where it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool name. People, I think people will recognize him. And same with Stefan Struve, right? Stefan Struve has been fighting seemingly forever now, and yeah. uh, you know he's 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 definitely taken more losses than than wins in, in in you know in the last several years now. Somebody wins by knockout. That, that, that's that's, 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 that's what you're hoping for. Absolutely, somebody wins by knockout. Let's hope for it. All right. So now hopefully we'll get to some fights that people are, are more aware of. But um, Magomed Ankalaev. 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 Yeah. Against uh, 
Kudalaba. How do you pronounce Kudalaba's first name? Ion? Eon? 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 I, b- I believe it's... Well, shit, now I forget. <laughs> I, he- I heard it accurately. So I watched... Because uh, this is a rematch. This, yes. is, this rematch is in the book like five times. Another finally, hopefully, uh, get this one in. So last time, the... Uh, Eon... I'm going to try to simplify their names as to not butcher them. But Eon got stopped in like the worst stoppage in history. The worst stoppage. He was on his feet. Brother like head kicks him, hits him a couple times. Seemingly he's kind of like, it looks like he's wobbly. The explanation was, and what some experts have said, is that he was trying to lull the guy in to hit him. And then as he's counter-punching, as he's firing shots back, the ref steps in and, and stops the fight. It's a terrible stoppage. And he's like, what? What? I mean, it's unequivocally just a really bad controversial stoppage. Not even controversial, like baffling. Like, what? Like... He's delivering punches to his opponent, and you stop the fight. It, it was really bad. It's on YouTube. So this is a rematch of that. So Brother Eon is going to be very, very uh, uh, pissed off and, and ready to get this one back. Uh, I don't really know who I'd pick. I, I actually kind of am leaning toward picking the, the other guy, the one who won the original one, because, mm-hmm. you know. Knocked him a little silly the first time. I I don't really have enough information, but uh, yeah, this this is there's actually a good story to this one. It's uh, it's on YouTube. So, so so like you said, uh, it's been on and off several times since that. You know, I, I think uh, Kudalaba's team. You know, they they tried to protest whatever. Dana White's like, look, we'll just do a rematch. But it is it has been scheduled. I think I want to say. That it was it was off because of uh, because of the you know when it when the shutdown happened, and then when they tried to do it again, Kudalaba failed a COVID nineteen test. Wait, so, that's the only reason I'm going to pick against him necessarily. Maybe maybe it has no idea, or maybe it has nothing to do with anything. Maybe he's completely asymptomatic. But I, I really have nothing to go on. It's so even. So that's the only thing that's slightly could lean in one way or the other. So just based on that possibly completely meaningless fact, I'll I'll pick uh the other guy. So I mean but to back up what you're saying, he didn't only fail once. He failed twice. So, you know, what what little we know about the, you know, the coronavirus as far as how if you can get it again or or, you know, all that stuff. So he's had to deal with this thing twice. And I know, I mean, I've seen some information out there which says, you know, if you do get it, it's probably not great to train with it. So who knows, you know, how he is he's feeling. And but the other reason to, to go with Ankaleev is because he has won four straight. He it was coming into that fight on a bit of a roll and he looked great right away. Now, agree with you that the fight shouldn't have been stopped, but it wasn't like he was taking the beating, right? Like, he the, he was dishing out. They were both were dishing it out. But he was getting the better of it. So, uh, you know, I think this fight's going to be awesome. 
because they both ha- have a little bit to prove. But I, I, I'm leaning with what you said for, for partially for what the reason that you said, and also because I just think you know he he he's uh, he, he's coming in stronger. Justin, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm weirded out that Kutalaba is still fighting. I mean, what is he like, just because he says, yeah, I'm fine. I can fight. I, I don't know if that's acceptable at the UFC level. They're a big company. So yeah, I, I hope they have a great fight. I don't know. I would go with Magomed because apparently this guy has been sick. I don't know. You know, when we're talking about COVID, we don't know like so this guy, he's a high level athlete. So his sick is different from like my sick. So it's like, I, maybe he feels great. Maybe he, He's fine, but I don't know. Come if you on, can pass you, you, just did, you just did like seventeen G one shows in uh, in a few weeks here. <laughs> you got stamina. It's a different kind of stamina. <laughs> at, at the very least, he's been training less. Right over the last. That, that that's my thought. That's definitely my thought. So I I, I I just pulled up the Wikipedia page now. I you know they reference stuff, but let let me see if I can uh, figure out the breakdown here. So they were rebooked for UFC two forty nine. Um, Ankalaev was forced to pull from the event due to the pandemic travel restriction. And Kudalaba was pulled from the event and was scheduled to face Ovince St. Prue. But um, then Dana White just sort of postponed it. And then the rematch was originally supposed to take place on August 15th. Kudalaba pulled out on August 11th after testing positive. The bout was rescheduled for uh, fight night... 175 which took place at the end of august and then he had to um i think he had to pull out literally the day of that show because he tested positive again so this is the third time it has been rescheduled and you know cross your fingers that they will finally get in there we're we're not out of the woods yet because stuff can happen but uh you know if that fight does happen I'm happy that you know that that they can finally have it, and I think it'll be really good. But uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of been snake bitten in a year of snake bitten fights. So that is that is that. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next fight, which is uh, Alexander Volkov against Walt Harris. Uh, Alexander Volkov is the sixth ranked heavyweight. Walt Harris is eighth. Volkov most recently lost to Curtis Blades, but previously he sort of became a little bit of a fan favorite after beating uh, Greg Hardy. And I think most people will remember him for he he was beating Derek Lewis in a great fight and Derek Lewis pulled it out uh, late. And um, the other thing about him is like this dude is six, seven. So he's a really tall heavyweight. But also Walt Harris, he's six five, so this is two gigantic dudes getting the octagon together. Um, everyone knows Harris's story. Stepdaughter was murdered. Uh, he took a lot of time off. He came back recently against Overeem, and you know one of those moments where I was like, "Oh, this is this would be so awesome for him if he was to win this fight," and he looked great for the first round just drained after that and Overeem was able to stop him in the second round. But John, what do you think about this fight? I got to pick Walt Harris just out of, I just want him to win so bad. Uh, the sentimental thing, you know, he, he's a fan favorite now. And uh, I, I, you couldn't help feel bad for him. I was actually there and that was in Jacksonville. Uh, 
the UFC in Jacksonville when he fought Overeem. And uh, I was there with JR and Tony Khan just hanging out on the dasher boards and shit. It was pretty cool. Edson Barboza kicks in an empty arena like fucking gunshots. <laughs> gunshots. So, uh, and he was doing really good. And, you know, there's a step up in competition for him. I think, I believe he stepped up on like a day's notice once to face. Am I thinking of the right guy to face uh, Fabricio? And just kind of got jujitsued and tapped out or whatever. But the guy's got balls. I like him. He just, everything I've seen. I hope that's the right guy that I'm thinking of. I'll look it up uh, while, while you're talking. Yeah, like, uh, I just like him. And, you know, he was doing so good, but just the ageless, crafty, cagey overeem. And, yeah, it wasn't his night. You wanted it to be his night. I want this to be his night. Uh, Volkov experienced uh, good. He's piecing up Derek Lewis until Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis, and just decided he wanted to just get up off his ass and win the fight all of a sudden, and he just does it at will. Uh, I got I to just root for Walt Harris here. I can't pick against him. I'm not even going to try to analyze it. I just I want Walt Harris to win, and I'm going to pick him. You, might, even put, might even put some money on him. You have a great recall for this, by the way. So UFC 216, heavyweight bout, was scheduled to be Fabricio against Derek Lewis, the day of the fight, Derek Lewis, his back locked up and he couldn't move. As a result, Walt Harris, who was originally scheduled to face uh, another guy in a prelim bout, took on Fabricio on, on that one day or less than one day notice. And uh, like you said, F- Fabricio did, uh, did sub him in the first round. But yeah, what, that's crazy. I, I, I I don't know. Would he get paid more to step up in that slot? I sure would hope so. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a guy who don't give a fuck. He was like, let's do it. Like, I like it. I like him. All right, Justin, what do you think? Well, the story, it's like you, you got to root for Walt Harris, but realistically, Volkov has the mental advantage. He doesn't. He lost his last uh, fight with Curtis Blades, right? But he has a lot less on his mind than Walt Harris, no matter what's going on. If... When you're stressed, you fight differently. And he's only fought once so far against Alistair Overeem earlier this year. And he wasn't the same guy yet. So it's hard to say, but I feel like Volkov has the mental advantage, which might lead him to just, if if Harris gets caught, Volkov won't have mercy. Alexander, don't call me Nikolai Volkov. (laughs) So my, my view is very similar to your view, except... I, I I think where Volkov wins this fight is um, in fighting smart, learning from that moment against Derek Lewis and not getting caught again. On the flip side, because he did get caught in that moment, if you're Walt Harris, knowing, you know, as much as possible, you're going to try to fight on your game plan and, and not be emotional that that may come in. I think, I think that's, that may be part of just his forever, you know, his life in, in general. But if you're, if you're Walt Harris and you see how, you know, you were able to, that was able to happen before. I think, you know, I, I think as the, 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 the thing that I'm a little bit worried about is just the gas tank. And, and why, why did he, you know, quickly get tired against Overeem? Is he, in shape is is he 100% there so that's why i'm leaning towards volkov but like both of you said like i mean 
I, I'm a Walt Harris fan, you know, from here on out, well, and I do hope that he wins. Well, a lot of times that can be, you know, you need moments like that in all sports, right? Or in all in all endeavors, really. I mean, look at it. Even if people talk about experience, in any, not just in fighting and anything, oh, that guy's more experienced. He has more experience. Well, what does that mean? That means like I'm on the prelims. You want to fight Fabrizio Verdum on 10 minutes notice? Fuck it. Okay. Get schooled. Okay. But now I know what it's like to be on a pay-per-view card. I know what it's like to step in the ring with a former heavyweight champion. Like didn't go well for me, but okay. Now next time I'll feel a little bit less sketchy about that. Maybe have a little more confidence. I know what it's going to be like when I step out there. Then I go to him. Then I'm in a main event and I, he's got all that other baggage and on him, all that, all that aside. Now I go into some deep water and I get gasped with Alistair Overing and I get finished. I believe he got finished. I believe he got finished in the second round. Well, now he knows what that feels like. Yep. He got up. He walked away. He cut a post-match interview. He's fine. He went home the next day to his family. It's all good. Now a lot of the pressure's off. Now next time, now every time you go into a bigger and bigger fight, do you think he's going to be intimidated by this Volkov fellow? He just went in there with Alistair motherfucking Overeem. You know? You can't intimidate him anymore. At least that's what I'm hoping. I, I'm, we could be seeing a progression of like him just kind of getting his feet wet and getting better and better. And like two years from now, he's challenging for the title, you know? Or maybe he gets smoked and he goes away and we never see him again. We have no idea. But like, you know, you can't look at it. Oh, he lost. You know, look at his, oh, now he's got his feet wet. And he knows what it's like to be in the deep shit with somebody like Alistair Overeem. Now he's a little more experienced. He's going to be a little less, uh, little less pressure on him. Now he's used to it. And now he's going to go out. Now he has confidence in training, and he can't wait to go out go out there and do it again. I was so close in that last time. I just got gassed. So I'll put a little more conditioning in. I'll be less stressed. Maybe kind of some of this emotional baggage is kind of worn off. Maybe he kind of worked out all those demons in the cage with Alistair, and maybe we're going to see the best version ever of Walt Harris. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for and banking on. I, and and I think that's a great point because again, going back to to what I said about Volkov, it's not like he's this savvy veteran who has been like you said in those deep waters. He is also, I mean, he he's thirty one, but from a UFC standpoint, he was kind of climbing that ladder and getting into that in, into the topper echelon or the topper echelon, the top echelon was where he did struggle. So from that standpoint, uh, I, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, you know, from, from an, uh, an age or sort of, you know, youth, Volkov is 31. I believe Harris is in his older 30s, maybe 37. So that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what that means, if it means anything. But, you know, both of them are, are UFC vets. I, I just think this is a really good fight. I think it's got, you know, the emotion because of the situation where if you're not rooting for Walt Harris, there's, you know, maybe you're just related to Volkov, but uh, I, I think this is going to be one of those. Uh, let's go, Harris. Right, yeah. Let's, how, let's, how dare both of you? Hey, I'm just, how I'm laying it down. This is just analysis. It's Russian. cold, objective analysis. You're going to bet against Rocky, too? Just huh? do my job. Just do my job, brother. Oh, man. We'll see. We'll see. The intrigue of this match is Walt Harris, though. The intrigue. It's his story. Volkov, it's like if he loses, I don't think we're going to lose much respect for him. He's still got more years on him. This is closer to the end of Harris's career, I think, too. We'll see. There's always a job for a seven-foot Russian. Oh, yeah. 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 They don't grow on trees. 
All right, let's quickly take another break from the podcast with John Moxley, myself, and Justin Nipper to talk about betonline.ag. We, uh, we're talking about UFC and fighting and everything, and, and I, I wanted to see what some of these odds were for the uh, UFC show upcoming that we're talking about. And I was specifically looking at underdogs. Uh, if you are someone who you know likes to bet the UFC, the the you know the best way if you have like an inside sort of inkling, not an inside, but like an inkling, you know the game very well. The the underdogs are kind of the way to, to bet these fights because uh, that's where you're going to get the the most bang for your buck if if you're right. And back in the day when the UFC was a little bit more in its in, you know in, in its uh, infancy or even as it became popular. You, you you would find these opportunities to bet some of these fights, but you know the bet the, the betting is so much smarter now because the the public is is very much in on the on the UFC and very aware. But I was just looking at a couple of of, of the underdogs. So you have uh, Walt Harris as a plus one fifty against Alexander Volkov. So there is somewhat of an underdog. Um, the one that I actually like and. I, who knows if I'm going if I'm going to bet? But as I was sort of digging into these the ones that I think are really interesting, uh, Lilia Shakarova, who is sort of an unknown uh, against Lauren Murphy, uh, she's a plus two ten. So that's pretty interesting. And then when you get to the main event, you have Justin Gaethje plus two ninety against Khabib Nurmagomedov. So those are kind of interesting. Like if you're someone who really enjoys betting the UFC, I'm sure those fights are catching your eye as well, whether you bet them or not. But uh, I always love looking at the underdogs and see if there's anything there that I really, really like. But anyways, you all have heard me say this a hundred times already. Bet online is the place to go to uh, take advantage of all of their great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE when you get there at betonline.ag. BLUEWIRE, all in one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so uh, the co-main here, we have uh, Robert Whitaker against Jared Cannonier at middleweight. Whitaker's the number one contender in that weight class, but he lost to Adesanya, so they probably aren't going to mix it up anytime soon. Cannonier's number three, and another little nugget from our friend Ryan Frederick, he said that uh, Cannonier will probably get a title shot if he wins this fight. So, fight was originally scheduled for March, but in January, Whitaker pulled out, uh, claiming burnout. You know, he, he, he's, he was burnt out from being the champ and, and his previous, uh, you know, all of his previous fights. Uh, obviously, he lost uh, to Adesanya. He recently won a really close decision against Darren Till. Do you guys remember watching that fight and remember who you had winning? I skipped that one, but I have a theory on how this fight will go. To me, it's clear cut. Go for it. If this goes five rounds, this is going to be a Robert Whitaker win. But if Cannoneer catches him, which I think he's going to, that's it. That's how it's going to end. Whitaker doesn't... F- I didn't see the Darren Till fight, so you guys got to fill me in on that. But he he's not a finisher, generally. Yeah, there, there's some a couple finishes. There are a couple, like, two come to mind. But it's just... When I think of Robert Whitaker, I think of that UL Romero fight. Just... It just took forever. It felt like, and he no, he couldn't put him away. And if he can't put uh, Cannonier away, and Cannonier catches him, finito. 
For sure. I think you're right. I think he's not a finisher. And I think the question is how much that I don't think we've answered yet. How much really did those fights with Romero take out of him? Because those were horrific fights. They felt Uh, like they were so long, too. Yeah, I mean, they were all five-rounders, five-round decisions back-to-back. Yeah, that's got to take a hell of a lot out of you. And then, so the question is, did he just get Adesanya'd by Adesanya? But he's still the clear number two. Or is all the title defenses and losing Adesanya and everything, has that all snowballed to where now he's not quite where he was? Or is he still the same? He's just a clear number two because now Adesanya is here. And Adesanya is like untouchable. I think like a lot of times that first fight back after like somebody loses a title. Like uh taking an example of like like Rich Franklin's fought some brother at a show and uh club it was on the same show, like it was Couture and uh Tim Sylvia. But it was like right after he got destroyed by Silva twice, and it was kind of like his comeback. And it was like a nice win, but it wasn't like a blow away. It was just kind of like get my feet back in the water, get comfortable again kind of fight. That's kind of what I feel like the Darren Till fight was for Whitaker. Like he didn't go out there and starch Whitaker, uh, starch Darren Till, but he got back out there and he won a decision. And now he's maybe back in the groove. Maybe he's not as burnt out. But I think we'll just see where he's at because Cannoneer's on the way up and he's dangerous. And let's talk about this. Let's talk about nicknames. Because Jared Cannoneer has a sick-ass nickname. The Killer Gorilla. <laughs> Rolls right off your tongue. Love it. Killer Gorilla's good? Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, you mix it in with some good highlights, some knockouts, you know, the, the Killer Gorilla. You know, that's good shit. How the about Reaper... The- yeah, the Robert Reaper. Whitaker. I'm not sure about the Reaper. I don't think it fits him. He doesn't have a Reaper personality. No, he's, he's not like the axe murderer of Anderlei Silva. Right, you know? right. He's a very affable guy, a very nice guy, active in the community. Just a very likable, blue-collar Kiwi guy. You know Love what? Him. I have. Uh, you know what he's I would like, call he's not him? He's the Reaper, though. He, he's Robert Bob Whitaker. <laughs> that's that's funny well, you said that because a lot of people call him Bobby Knuckles. Yeah, Bobby Knuckles is the other thing that people call him. I and, like Bobby Knuckles so much better. Well, that I like that better, him. but uh, he's Bobby Knuckles. The way you described him was more of a Bob than a Bobby Knuckles just now. <laughs> so, so so he's just Bob, he's Bob Whitaker to you. To me, he's Bobby Knuckles. Bobby Knuckles Whitaker. Um, I don't know. I don't know about this Reaper. Yeah, that, that's that's overstepping. Let, let's talk about this too, because this got swept under the rug. This man, Anthony Ivey, recently, nothing to do with what we're talking about, <laughs> but recently competed on uh, like some prelims at the Apex, right? Anthony Ivey. Okay, so your name is Anthony Ivey, and you're a professional fighter, and somebody's going to give you a nickname. That'd be Poison. Obviously. Right? It's not. Poison Ivey. Anthony Poison Ivey. Bruce Buffer, Anthony, Poison. Uh, it just rolls right off your tongue. It's he, he's Poison Ivy. You don't need it, it, Poison Ivy. Maybe he's not a comic book fan. Even if you're not, you know it's Poison Ivy. You hear I hear Ivy. You think Poison? Poison right? Ivy is an absolute nightmare. Doesn't have anything to do 
with comic books. You know what his nickname is? It's got to be Poison. He didn't. Is that not his nickname? This is his nickname. It's going to blow your fucking mind if you haven't heard it yet. Lay it on me. Anthony Aquaman (laughs) Ivy. What? He went with a a fucking comic book name. (laughs) Wow. Mm. His last name was Ivy. He could have been Poison Ivy. And he didn't even... And they're both DC Comics. <laughs> All right. There are a couple levels here we got to unpack, but I don't know if we Come have time on. for that. But if When you- God gifts you a name like Ivy and gifts you the skills of a professional fighter, he's telling you your name is Anthony Poison Ivy. Right. And you're going to hit me with this Aquaman shit? Is he, uh, is he trolling us? Do you, think, do you think it was because, you know, maybe people made fun of him when he was a kid? So it was just like this... This thing that he didn't want to bring back up because it gave him bad memories or something? There was a reasoning. The reasoning was because everybody thinks Aquaman's like a shitty superhero and thinks they're not tough. But you know what? That's not a good thing. He so he, he's he like still the un- is. He's, he, he he's is. unsuspecting superhero. No, Martian Manhunter is much cooler, and he's a member of the Justice League, and he doesn't get enough credit. So I'm going to say Martian Manhunter's cooler, Cyborg's cooler. You know, why did he go Aquaman of all the... Like, is he trying to prove something? He had a reasoning, even though, I mean, it feels like you're trying to turn, feel like the car's going right with Ivy, and you're just working really hard to steer it left with Aquaman. You've got to go with the flow. Maybe yeah. he's a Vince Russo fan. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and if the, he had Poison Ivy for his for his name, he could come out to that uh, that Belle Biv DeVoe song. Oh, Poison. That girl's point. Well, oh, then it says that girl. Oh, the possibilities you just change, are endless. You just change it up. Alice Cooper poison. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh. Yep. <clears throat> the band poison their songs from them. Oh my god. The, so my my own the only thing I can add to this is uh, in my in my youth as a, a, a as an eighteen year old right out of high school, I worked for Blockbuster Video. Everybody remembers Blockbuster Video. Even you know may, maybe if you're you know, 25 or younger, maybe you don't remember it, but there, one of the things about blockbuster video was there were no, um, you know, no adult films, obviously blockbuster video is a very family friendly place, but the kind of films they would have were these like B movie, uh, where you would get the R rated version. You could rent the R rated version. There was going to be some stuff in it, but you know, still pretty clean, but then they would show you, here's the unrated version. And Poison Ivy was a very unrated version of a movie starring oh, Drew, Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Oh, I love that movie. It was on TV all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> she was really she was really pretty in that, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, back, back, pretty, she, you know, she was in she her was, early 20s or whatever, so she, she was still... I was in my, you know, my pubescent like developing uh age and she was one of the like my first you know i, I held a deep uh, let's say connection with that poison ivy drew barry that's a different poison ivy though so just uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this drew barrymore trivia and then we'll move on but drew barrymore obviously has a child actress et she's like you know crazy celebrity at such a young age and then she like develops a a drug problem like as a young person and is kind of out of the scene for a while as she gets better i think i think um right before 
like right after Poison Ivy's when she kind of came back into the mainstream. So she was doing movies again, you know, very soon after. But this was kind of like the way for her to get back into the good graces of Hollywood was to do these these movies that were such as Poison Ivy. But yeah, there, there's your Drew Barrymore trivia of the day. I've, n- I've never seen that. Big fan of Drew Barrymore as an actress, but she looks like my sister. So I can't. <laughs> in Poison Ivy, she looked. That's the only movie I remember her looking this way. She was like maybe 21, 23, somewhere around there. I love where this is going. I thought it was UFC. We're getting into like. <laughs> you know, there's Poison Ivy 2 as well. I haven't seen that, but. You know, you, you know I used to jack wrestling tapes from there. The blockbuster? I read a wrestling, went a wrestling tape, like WWF, whatever. And then I would unscrew the the case, take the film out. Oh, my God. Unscrew a different case from, like, some shitty VHS, like Brigadoon or some shit. Or Sound of of Music or something. Replace the film. Then put, uh, or you could put, if you put, like, scotch tape over the little square piece, Mm -hmm. then you could record over it. Right, right, right. And you get, like, the two VCR things going. I had a whole... I had a whole racket going on on Blockbuster. Luckily, they're not in business anymore. Otherwise, they'd probably be coming after me. Well, I think that you put them out of business, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, can... I, I lied. I lied. I do have one more piece of Drew Barrymore trivia, which is when she got back into, into, the, you know, into the mainstream, one of the things that, that was a project that she did, you guys will remember this story just because of how famous it was. You remember Joey Buttafuoco... And Amy Fisher. Do you guys remember that story? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Amy Fisher has this little dalliance with Joey Buttafuoco. He, he, she comes a little too close to comfort. And she shows up and shoots Joey Buttafuoco's wife. And this became this huge story. They did like three TV, three competing TV movies. Drew Barrymore played Amy Fisher in one of those as a 17 year old. So there you go. That's your, now I'm done with the Drew Barrymore trivia of the day. I, I, I mean, we, I, I have an Amy Fisher story if you want. Oh but my we can, God. But maybe that's for another time. Is, is it, it, it? No, it's that's probably a separate podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. It's my, I remember when I was a kid, my mom had uh, her wisdom tooth out when I was a kid. So for the day she had a lot of Novocaine in her face and uh, she couldn't move her face. You know, and it kind of it is drooping a little bit. And my dad was like, "You look like Mary Butterfield." Oh, that's cold blooded. That's some, that's cold blooded. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to this main event before we uh, lose everybody completely. Um, so, so my 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 thought just I, I didn't give like my two cents on on the Robert Whittaker thing, but I think um, I think the Reaper. Or what do we call him? Bobby Knuckles is kind of ripe for an upset just based on, you know, he's got burnout. He's got the fight with Darren Till. A lot of people thought Till won that fight, though. I know it was really close. I, I feel like, you know, there, there there's the possibility. This is a good, like, like I, I'd have to, I'm have to look at these odds because, um, you know, I feel like Cannoneer is kind of right in that perfect spot. You know, obviously he's fought bigger guys than than Robert, right? Because he came down from light heavyweight. So you know, he he actually lost to guys who we talked about uh, talked about last uh, last show, uh, Dominic Reyes and uh, John's buddy uh, Jan. He he lost to both those guys. So he's been with big guys. I think I think Robert's a, a little bit ripe here for an upset. So um, okay. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Cannoneer. They're both five eleven. I don't know what the reach is. 
If you look at Cannoneer's record, though, his really only losses in the last few years are to, like, top light heavyweights. Yep. Reyes, uh, Glover Teixeira, and Jan. Yep. So, like, I feel like he's going to be a lot bigger, and it's going to be, like, another war. Like, give me a tough night for Bobby Knuckles, I think. Yeah, he beat, I mean, he beat his last fight. He beat uh, Hermanson in uh, in Denmark. And, you know, I think I think it was kind of like, you know, Herman, a little bit of a homecoming and and he he blasted him. Do you like when you're watching some of these old, uh, you know, when you're watching fights just to kind of remember and you see fans there, it's like starting to trip me out because I'm like, then I start doing the math like, OK, when was this? Because it's been what, since April or, or March, when, whenever the UFC kind of came back where we've seen one style of show the whole time. And then I go back and watch an old fight and I go, oh my God, there's fans there. It, it kind of trips me out a little bit. Yeah, it's depressing, man. I mean, I miss the pageantry and the all the electricity, but you know, it is what it is. All right, so let's get to this main event. Um, we have, I, I mean, you know, one of the biggest fights of the year, obviously, Khabib against Just, Justin Gaethje. Uh, it... <laughs> It's got to go one way or the other, right? It's got to go Khabib mauls him with the wrestling or Gaethje is able to keep the fight on the feet and really pick Khabib apart. I, I'm I'm still sort of uncertain. I, I mean, of course I'm uncertain because the fight hasn't happened, but I don't even know which way that I lean. I almost always just lean towards Khabib because I've never really seen him in a, you know in, in a in a fight where he looked like he was he he was going to lose but he this is the first fight of his coming off of his his father's passing um and so there's going to there's going to be that emotional piece you know he's not with his 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 coach his dad and Gaethje is hot you know he's coming off of that that fight with Tony Ferguson where he becomes an absolute star wins the interim title and he seems like he's the one who's coming in steaming and Khabib is the one who you have a few questions about, but I don't, I don't know. Is that narrative or is that real? Like, am I, le- you know, am I buying too much into things that I don't know about? Like, how, how do you see this fight going, John? Momentum is a real thing, man. Like in life and sports and everything, like momentum is a real thing. That being said, how can you pick against Khabib when he's never lost? And then he goes down there and does what he does to everybody else. You look pretty foolish, right? But if there was ever a guy that was going to stop, not, okay, somebody could stay at range, say McGregor and Khabib fought again. Could he stay at range and snipe him with a left hand? 100%. Like, Khabib can lose. If there was ever a guy that was going to stop the takedowns, though, or at least get up from them, or at least mitigate them to where he doesn't fully compete, completely maul you and Khabib you, Gaethje's the only possible guy. Unless Jordan Burroughs gets an MMA or something. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't... So it's, it's a tale of two fighters, basically. So I was watching... This morning, I watched Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez and then Gaethje and Ferguson. It may as well be two entirely different fighters. Before And I... I'll be honest with you. All my money's... I'm betting the house on Gaethje. Not because I'm 100% convinced he's going to win. I'm not at all. 
if this could go four different ways, I'd say it's a 25% chance it could go one of four different ways. And I could see either of them happening, and I wouldn't be surprised if any of them happened. But I've been on Gaethje's dick since World Series of Fighting. I was like, he's the he's, he rules. He just gets in there, puts the guard up, just starts swinging, leg kicks the shit out of people. The question was, once he got to UFC, is he going to have a higher, against a higher level of competition, is he going to wilt? And which we talked All, about on the last Almost show. did. Almost did in his first fight. But his only two losses, he almost won both those fights. Just incredible wars of attrition that he just happened to come out on the losing end of, though. But he didn't even care. You know, it's a mental flip for him where he went from like, okay, I'm going to try to stop being the most entertaining fighter, and now I want to be the world champion. And now he's just fighting differently. Like, he looks so sharp, and his movement, and his circling out, and his head movement, and his hands are so sharp, and he hits so hard, and he's, like, swinging for the fences the entire time. Like, first round, he was, like, he was swinging for the fences. Like, some of the punches he missed in the Ferguson fight were, like, he was putting everything behind him. Uh, This version of Justin Gaethje... You have to just compartmentalize that as a different fighter than the Gates you fought Eddie Alvarez or Dustin Poirier. And this version of Justin Gaethje, I just can't, I, I cannot see him losing. Not saying it can't happen, but he just looks so unstoppable. And as far as like a guy, if there was the perfect guy to defend Khabib's relentless takedowns because Khabib's came out and said, I'm going to try to take him down. If I don't get it, I'll try again and try again and try again. And he's going to try and back him up against the fence. Gaethje says he's not going to push me up against the fence. They're both being very uh, out in the open about what their game plans are. Uh, A big difference, you know, and it's almost like a movie thing where like these two warriors from different parts of the world who have been trained since birth in wrestling, Khabib and Sambo and freestyle Greco or whatever he did and whatever they do in uh, I assume freestyle wrestling and Sambo Geishi in folk style wrestling and that's a key difference because in folk style wrestling which is high school and collegiate wrestling you get points for an escape you get points for getting back up and if you study Geishi's college career he's a defensive wrestler and he's very open about that he's about not getting taken down uh, I mentioned his name earlier because it was on my mind. Because you want to talk about a guy who, who was able to take Justin Gaethje down in college. Jordan fucking Burroughs. <laughs> That's how high up on the ladder you got to go to get a guy who consistently take Justin Gaethje down. And uh, it, it's just, it's about getting up. And this is scrambling. And uh, so, like, Eddie, get he spent a total, here's a factoid. He spent a total of 17 seconds on the bottom in his UFC career so far. Maybe five or six seconds of that was in the fight I watched this morning. But it's like he was moving the entire time late in the fight when they're both gassed and both rocked because it was a war. Eddie does manage to briefly get him down onto onto kind of an all fours turtle position. But he's constantly scrambling, constantly getting back up. He got him down. I shouldn't even say he got him down. Like he, I mean, he would have scored two points if it were a college wrestling match. But like, as soon as he hit. He's right back up, and he's just constantly moving. The sprawl and brawl kind of thing is his thing. Like he's just he's gonna avoid being taken down at all costs. So like, uh, a big a big factor too is 
He's always throwing leg kicks, low kicks. Uh, so is Khabib going to easily catch those? He knows they're coming. Gaethje has said, I'm going to kick him in the leg four times, and then, and then he's done. He's going to be immobile. So he knows he's coming to kick him in the leg, so Khabib's going to be ready to catch that leg and take him down. So does Khabib kind of take him down once, then he scrambles back up to his feet, and then kind of takes him down again, holds him down a little bit, but scrambles back up again, and then by the third round, he's tired, realizes he can't take him down, and then he tries to kickbox with him. I think if it's on the feet, all things even, Gaethje wins. So it's it's about where the fight's going to take place, and and Khabib, I think Khabib will get him down. Khabib will get him up against the fence. It's just a question of how long can he hold him there. You know, maybe he doesn't at all. I, I don't know. Gagey says there's absolutely no way in hell he takes me out in the open. He's going to have to push me up against the fence, but he's not going to get a chance because I'm going to be pressuring him. So there's a very immovable object versus the irresistible force situation we got going on here. Just Gagey's just scrambles and shit are just, I mean, like, look at like Poye. His thing is, okay, I just don't want to get taken down. Don't want to get pushed up against the fence. Trying to stay at range, whatever. Inevitably, he succumbs, and it's the same look on his face that McGregor had, that Edson Barboza had, of just, just like frustration and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, discouragement, where they're just like, "Fuck, I just can't get back up." Like you just see the the, the discouragement on their face. I don't think Gage is gonna get discouraged ever in his life. He's just going to keep getting back up, keep rolling, keep scrambling. He's wild. And even though he's been so much more measured and patient and mature and he's such a different fighter than he was a few fights ago, that wildness is still in there. And yeah, he does shit. If you get his ankle, he'll turn and like kind of like when people get out of Kurt Angle's ankle lock, he'll like do the turn and roll and get back up to his feet. Like he loves us. He wants to scramble. He wants it to be wild. He wants it to be a car crash. He's going to try to create car crashes. He's come out and said as such and just I, I have no I, I have absolutely no idea how how what we're actually going to see we're going to see a car crash of some sort and I'm cannot wait to put my eyes on the screen and look at it and see what the hell unfolds while I'm thinking about it another as far as the striking goes uh especially in his earlier fights Justin's defense you know was to put the guard up his two forearms blocking his head now in past fights he would just walk forward eat shots on his guard and take two to give two back or whatever but he still uses that kind of guard even though his movement and everything is a lot better Khabib's best punch or at least his most uh kind of highlight unusual punch is kind of like an uppercut Dan Hardy calls it an eagle punch because it's kind of an unusual long uppercut but it goes right up the middle and if there was ever a punch that was designed to knock out Justin Gaethje. <laughs> it was this weird Khabib punch. So that makes it interesting when it's on the feet, too. So it's just, there's just so much going on, and it's just a wild mess of possibilities, and I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. All right, I, I will have, I have some follow-ups to that, but I want to get Justin's opinion. Justin, you know, push comes to shove. You got to make a pick. Who you picking? Definitely Khabib. I don't think there's any way Justin Gates is getting out of this unless he catches Khabib. That's and he can. I think there is a chance. Gates is that good. But listen, if if you've seen Khabib fight, 
He's one of the best grapplers in the world. He's like a stone when he gets those dudes on the cage. I've never seen somebody so deliberate in their strategy. He never feels like he's um, thrown off his game. Uh, he's coming off, like you said, his father's uh, death, who was his coach. I mean, that is another part of this that's going to factor in to Khabib's fight and his fighting style. But I, I can't see Gaethje pulling it off. If he can, that's cool. But I, Khabib is a force. I don't see, I don't know who could beat him right now, to be honest. And, and to that point, if it's not Justin, when you look at who else is left in that division for uh, for, for Khabib, um, you know, we already we already saw the Dustin fight. The Tony Ferguson fight has, you know, we've been waiting for that one forever. Ferguson didn't look great against Justin. Um, Hooker, McGregor, Charles Oliveira, like Paul Felder, like, you know, this is the opportunity here to unseat this guy. And if Justin isn't the one to do it, it's going to be really interesting how um, Dana and, and, and the matchmakers kind of book this thing. Because at some point, you know, Khabib, Khabib, based off of that Connor fight, you know, he's got money. So it's not like he's, you know, going to be begging to get back in there. And so then it becomes this weird thing with, uh, you know, with, with how to get him in and who's going to be the contender. And is it just going to be Connor? That's all he wants to fight because he knows he's going to make the big money. So that that's an interesting narrative after this fight is over if Justin doesn't win. Maybe he'd just leave. I think, he, I mean, he could fight in Russia. I mean, the last fight he did, um, what was this? It was um, was the last one this summer or the most recent one? It was Whatever, Poye did, fight. It was Poye, yeah. Yeah. Twenty eight million, twenty eight million views in Russia, just Russia. So, like, he's a star here for as a UFC star, but he's a sports star in a, a lot of the world. This dude's serious, and he's treating it. He's fighting in a, a different way, not a sport way, but a, a fight like a, a soldier way. It's hard. To, to fight somebody when they're in that mindset, when they're doing, basically they're doing war jujitsu. It's, he's, it's less sport, more like I'm going to end you and I won't let anything stop me from ending you. But when you get caught with a punch or a kick in the head or the jaw, that's not up to you. That's just science. That's just nature. You go out, you go out. So that could happen too, but that's how I see it happening. If it goes longer, it's going to go to the ground and if it goes to the ground, it's Khabib. All right. So I wanted to follow up with, with what John was talking about when it came to, I mean, you name dropped Jordan Burroughs two times. Are you a, are, are you a, a collegiate wrestling fan? Uh, like a little bit. It was just some of the highlights and stuff and so forth. But, you know, I love, you know, I wrestled like my whole life. So I love the sport, you know, but uh, not like a super expert or anything. Mm, but uh, in studying kind of Justin Gaethje's, Wrestling, you know, it's a big part of, uh, I mean, people say, oh, he doesn't use his wrestling, but that, that's not true because part of wrestling is not getting taken down. Right. And that was his whole game. And that was his whole game. He was an All-American. So you could say, you know, if he was getting taken to the ground and laying there, you'd say he wasn't using his wrestling. When I see Eddie Alvarez take him down and before he even barely hits the ground, he's back up and swinging. That's using your wrestling. Chuck Liddell used his wrestling. Because you couldn't fucking take Chuck Liddell down. You think anybody want to stand with Chuck Liddell? <laughs> no, but he was such a good wrestler that you couldn't take him down. You know that what sprawl that that sprawl that, and brawl. Yeah, that one Randy fight, or maybe it was the first Randy fight where I when he started taking him, I was like, "What? This does not seem 
normal. What's going on here? The one guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I want like like kind of said earlier, but like I wonder if like if by three rounds, Gaethje has say we get through three rounds. And Khabib's maybe taking him down once, but Gaethje got back up. And then tried again, and he got back up. And then now he can't get him back down. And now wrestling tires you out, especially spending all that energy with takedowns. If we get through three rounds and Gaethje's outlanded him, and Khabib hasn't really been able to effectively hold him down like he does everybody else, now he's down three rounds. Now he has to go, well, fuck it. Now I have to – I can't just hold him down for the next two Unless he thinks he can finish him, but if that hadn't on the ground, but if that hadn't been going good so far, like if we go into round four and Khabib goes, "Fuck, I have to kickbox this motherfucker," all of a sudden we had a we have a Gaethje decision, potentially. You know, it's just it's so fucking wild. But like, if there's one dude who's wild enough and scrambly enough, and has the defensive wrestling base enough and will not get discouraged for one second of 25 minutes, and Khabib is used to everybody getting discouraged, this is the guy. Maybe it doesn't happen. You'd be foolish to, you know, say without a doubt. You'd be foolish to actually bet your house on Justin Gaethje, you know? Uh, I was using that as a turn of phrase, you know? I'm not actually betting my house. But but man, if it were ever going to happen, I feel like this is the time. Feel it, feel like I can feel it in the air, man. I got a, I pulled up a very interesting stat from the UFC stats.com site. Just to, we were talking about uh, takedowns and Gaethje's wrestling. I'm looking, they have a stat called the takedown defense. It's a percentage they calculate of like, uh, num the percentage of opponents takedown attempts that didn't land. So Gaethje is 80%, where Khabib is 84%. So they're both hard to take down. So we'll see what happens. I don't know how, and this also depends on how comfortable Khabib gets on his feet in this. If he gets really comfortable on his feet, that's going to open him up. That's where Gaethje will get his chance. Yeah, I mean, how do you look at the Gaethje who fought Ferguson for 25 minutes? Yeah. Tony fucking Ferguson. <laughs> like you said, Tony looked bad in his last fight, and I disagree. Because he had some moments. He did, I just watched it this morning. He did, he did uh, drill Gaethje and almost put him on his ass at the end of the, I believe the second round. If maybe if that punch had been at a different part in the round, maybe things would have turned out different. But he was trying. He looked comfortable and happy and fine and everything. He was trying Imanari rolls and he was doing weird street fighter sweep kicks and shit. Like he was. I don't think it was so much that he looked bad. And he, you were talking about the Korean zombie. He's the fucking California zombie because he was just eating shit and moving forward. He never got discouraged. I don't think it was so much that he looked bad. I think Justin just made him look bad. Like that version of Justin Gaethje, just like on the feet, dude. Like good luck for anybody. Like, no, I think I think it's really fair. I think just my memory of that fight is like the last couple rounds where he was a little goofy, and I was a little worried about him being goofy and you know possibly having a concussion like that that's probably what i'm imagining but you're right justin gaethje was awesome in that fight um but okay so so let's let's take a step further so let's say khabib wins they do they try to make that fight again i think they go right to some gsp bullshit or he 
says he's retiring or something. I, I don't know. Because they, I, I, don't know. I think he's got two. He he's got he's got two fights, right? He's got the Connor rematch, which will always be there until it happens or it doesn't happen. And the Ferguson fight, because now the Ferguson fight is this legend of something that we never got to see. And because we never got to see it, seemingly we want to see it more than we've ever wanted to because we haven't. So I think those are two things that he would be very interested in. Maybe a GSP thing. That That's a little... You know, I I don't know if Dana White wants to necessarily cater to GSP, but you know those are those are two fights that are on the table for him if he wins. So that's why you know I'm wondering, okay, how hard is it going to be to make those, and how much will the UFC, the the fans, and the public want to see them in order for them to to be pressured to make them? Because outside of those two fights, when you look up and down that roster, I'm not sure there's a fight that you can sell that he will actually be interested in. You left out one. There's one other possibility. What about Michael Chandler? That's what I was going to oh, say. Oh, yeah. We, we only, didn't talk. It's the only part there of this go. equation we haven't brought there up. There we go. That's a good it, one. But it, the, dude, it, it's 2020, man. Yeah. Anybody can pop for COVID at any time. It's just if you're booking a UFC card or a pro wrestling card, you have to accept that in 2020, the day of the show or a couple days before the show, the whole card could change. Luckily, we do have something interesting waiting in the wings. Should, God forbid, knock on wood and take 10 Hail Marys, should something happen, somebody touches the wrong doorknob and test positive for COVID, we have Michael Chandler waiting in the wings. Is there any chance that he beats either guy? And if so, which one would he have a better shot of beating and pulling off the upset of the freaking century? What do you think, Garrett? I, I think he'll have entertaining fights with both, but I don't think I would favor him with either guy at this point. You know what? But, you know, I would have to go back and watch some of those fights that I, you know, that I either watched or, or kind of didn't really pay attention to because I, I I'm when I think of Michael Chandler I think of the Michael Chandler from like four years ago rather than who he is today uh, so I would have to think about that but I still would favor Justin or uh, or Khabib against him uh, but you know it's it would be exciting because Chandler's never not in exciting fights so at at that point it is something you can do and, it, and that that's the one i didn't think of that's a good that's a really good pull because that is a third possible fight new guy coming over you know i i do think they could actually sell that fight man i have i mean yeah i think could be 100 like i would actually bet the house on Khabib with Khabib and Chandler but, you know, I mean, he's got two arms and two legs. He can knock you out. So, you know, I guess I guess same with Justin. He would match up more, I guess, similar to Justin. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I don't think he's quite the defensive takedown machine that Gaethje is. So I, I think I think Chandler gets Khabib by Khabib if, if it was Khabib and then probably gets knocked out by Gaethje. But, you know, he's got two arms and two legs, and he's a hell of a fighter. So, I, I don't know. 
Yeah, and you were talking about momentum. I mean, it depends on whatever would happen in the context of the situation. If something happens the day of, that could throw somebody off. Who knows? And if Chandler feels like he's ready and he is ready in the wings, anything could happen. That's the intrigue of all this. And I'm feeling like Khabib has this, but like we were talking about, Gaethje is the one who has a realistic chance of maybe pulling this off. Um, okay, so I'm fucking hyped. I'm fucking hyped. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, no, this is this is gonna be great. Like I, I actually I really like John's argument for Gaethje because it makes a lot of sense in the fighter that you would sort of create to beat Khabib. But on the other hand, what Khabib has built himself into is sort of this indestructible person who, you know, you don't like, like when I'm, when I'm thinking about if, if the thing with, you know, his father's passing is going to affect him the way that I see him, I would think, Oh no, like he's like just a stone wall. Like he's just there to, you know, to, to run through guys. But at the end of the day, it's not only his, his dad, it was his coach. So even strategically and stylistically, it could affect him. But Thinking of the strategy to beat him, I really like that argument. And um, I don't know if I would change my prediction based on that argument, but it does give you a lot to think about. And I wonder, you know, you, you mentioned putting your house, put, put, putting uh, the house on it. I do wonder what the odds are. It's kind of interesting fight to bet on. And I wonder if even further you would actually bet on with better odds, sort of the way that you think it could happen. So the result versus just, you know, a money line fight between who's going to win. I believe it's minus 250 for Khabib, the last I looked. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Those, those, those are interesting, interesting odds for sure. Okay. So two more things about this fight and then, and then, and then we'll shut this down. But we mentioned Dustin Poirier, uh, and Connor earlier and how the wars that Dustin has been in possibly, you know, uh, affecting him at some point. What do you think about Gaethje? Because Gaethje has been in some amazing wars and he has been giving them out way more than he has been taking them lately. But right when he got to the UFC, he was getting he, he was the one, you know, taking these big shots do you do you feel the same way about Gaethje as maybe you did about Poirier when it comes to that? I can't believe he's made it this far. To be honest with you, like the uh, I mean, I figured he had, and he said it too. And he'd be like, "Ah, oh, you know, I only have so many fights in me, and uh, they're all going to be great and entertaining." And then he switched his mindset, and it was like it's kind of like when Derek Derek Lewis decides to get up from the bottom. <laughs> just like all all it is is just the mental decision of like oh, I'm going to do this, and all of a sudden. Boom, he's a totally different fighter. And the dam- the lack of damage that he's taken in his last few fights, uh, the couple first-round knockouts, Barboza and whatever, James Vick or something. And, uh, and, I mean, he looked great after the fight with Tony. Just took the belt, put it down, said, oh, if you want to fight Khabib, he's all good. Like, Tony looked like he'd been in a car wreck, but uh, beaten with a sack of oranges or something. But, uh <laughs> Gaethje looked fine, and you know he's training smarter. He's Trevor Whitman, and just I think I think all everything he's doing now is the smarter decision as opposed to the more reckless decision. So I think I mean maybe it catches up to him 
one day far down the line. You know, I don't know how he trains. I assume he trains smarter. Uh, I assume he does everything smarter than he used to do. And last time we seen him standing in an octagon, he looked damn fine to me. So I don't think it's much of an issue yet. I think uh, all the stars are aligning for uh, MDK all motherfucking day, Justin Gaethje. All right. Do you guys have any last words on this show before we get out of here? I'm good. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it, it is even more crazy, pure violence this weekend. Just in case anybody uh, wasn't aware, if you're not doing anything on Friday morning, if you want to watch it live at 11 a.m., Josh Barnett, if you want to talk about nicknames, the fucking war master, Josh Barnett, is currently in Poland. And on Friday, the day before UFC 254, will be in a bare-knuckle boxing fight where elbows are also legal. So bare-knuckle with elbows with an, with another heavyweight whose name I can't even pronounce, but is literally tattooed head-to-toe all over his face and everything. He looks like something out of a James Bond movie. Uh, the, the thing that would motivate a man to fly to Poland to have a bare-knuckle slash elbows fight with this man look up the promo it's on youtube it's, it's crazy cool. yeah you're, you'll you'll be like you'll tune in you know K, ksw uh they got some cool fights but i believe it's 11 a.m pacific time so i guess that'd be 2 at 2 p.m eastern time but uh if you don't have enough violence in your weekend this weekend yeah definitely watch josh barnett uh uh just do some crazy shit this weekend. Yeah, it's against this guy named Marcin Rosalowski. I guess he's really popular in Poland. I, I think he might be bigger like, outside, not just in MMA or boxing or maybe as a celeb. I'm not too sure, but KSW always puts on awesome shows. Uh, Garrett, I covered the KSW 54 last month for The Observer. 55 was this past weekend, or no, last weekend. That was great, too. Yeah, that's cool. Is KSW the one that had the show where the Fedor came out with the wacky spiders and everything? What year was that? I don't. I'm not sure. It was like a couple years ago. He fought Fabio Maldonado, and and everybody thought it was a work because like the ref wouldn't stop the fight, even though it was in Russia and Fabio was killing him, and like the ref didn't stop the fight, and the announcer, whoever that announcer is, is absolute gold. <laughs> no, it's like I think that was a Russian a Russian company like. Um... M, it wasn't M1. Here, oh, okay, EFN. EFN 50. Maybe that was it. Maybe that's not KSW. Oh, okay. I'm talking about... I'm all over the place. Not, yeah. but, I was talking to uh, talking to Josh about that this weekend. And he's talking about going to do a bare-knuckle fight in Poland. And it was as if he was going on a fishing trip. He <laughs> <laughs> was just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go over there and, you know, hopefully catch a few striped bass and uh, should be fun. Like, com- just absolute calm. It's like, dude, you're nuts. And that's come for me. Like, Jesus Christ. He's the real deal. The absolute calm, you know? So I'm looking forward to that. I've uh, I've met Josh twice. He came out here because my buddy uh, ran one of the the Bay Area independent uh, companies. Shayna, I think it was Shayna's second ever match. She, I think she had a match in... I want to say it was like Reno, like was her first match. And then she came out here to wrestle uh, in her second match. And then, you know, she wrestled a, a couple of different times. But 
so he came out with Shayna, and I forget the the other woman Shayna wrestled. He, I think he was dating at the time. That you know, she she was really cool. Shayna's really cool. Josh, you know, Josh a little little standoffish. Like he didn't he didn't really come you know come hang out. But the second time I met him, you guys will get a kick out of this. You remember when he was fighting uh, Usada? The set the recently. This was only a few years ago because he got popped. And he basically said, like, there's no way. And so he really fought USADA to uh, to clear his name. And so uh, I'm with Meltzer. We're in L.A. at the uh, Axis studio, which is in that state, which was in that Staples Center area. I don't know if it's still there. So we we uh, I think we interviewed. Gosh, I want to say it was Kazuchika Okada. I think that's why we were there was to interview Okada. Anyways, JR and Josh were also doing the voiceovers when they used to do the the New Japan show on Access. So they were there. I you know, we we were doing stuff and then um Mark Ramondi who now works for ESPN, he was also there. And so Ramondi he just looks at everyone and he goes, "Oh my god, this thing just you know J- josh's uh I, for- I forget exactly how how the, the the news was announced but basically josh was correct in that you know his test there was something faulty with it and so that news mark broke that news on his old uh, the old mma uh website uh, mma fighting website literally while we're all in the studio josh comes out and he tells josh the news that you know that that josh's uh, test got overturned so that was that was crazy. I'm watching news break. I'm watching Josh's initial reaction, and he's got the he's got the the, the recorder, and Josh cuts a promo on him right in front of us. Jr's there hanging out, you know. Uh, he he was uh, complaining about um, some of the feedback he was getting on, on those New Japan shows because you know he didn't know every single move that that a wrestler had, and and you know they were giving him. so he, that was just a crazy day when it came to that stuff. But that that's my uh, that's my Josh Barnett story. All right, so um, I think I think we're done here. We're done with the UFC 254, and uh, I want to thank uh, thank John for coming back and hanging out with us. I, I assume that you know you get a kick out of this as much as we get a kick out of doing this with you, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, it's always fun. I'm, I'm yeah, I needed a shit talk about shit you're excited about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I needed a break from a G1 too. <laughs> right. I mean, it's great. It was awesome, but it's just a lot of G1. It was a lot. It was definitely a lot. Uh, all right. So, um, so that'll be it from here. So for John and Justin, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out.